0: And loose and somehow he's going to affect a lot of people now I looked at I thought about that when I was thinking about this earlier yesterday uh, in 2019 uh, we pretty well felt we had still a lot of freedoms we were doing a lot of we could go where we wanted to fly in planes and you know, all that And then January 2020, and our whole world went upside down. I know they've been working probably 40 years on this deal, but our life switched in just a few months, and in the past two years, we've gone really upside down. So when I think of Satan being turned loose, I I used to think it's probably going to be a really a long, long time to persuade people to go against God. But 2020 said it doesn't take much time, does it? Just overnight. Anyway, so why are we here? Why are we keeping the Feast of Tabernacles? If you look at Revelation and go through the trumpet plagues, the bowl plagues, the last plagues, a lot of people are going to suffer. There's going to be a lot of destruction, a lot of death. And you think of the people that manage, which is just a small smidgen of people compared to today. There's what, four billion people, five billion people, somewhere in there. And only maybe a hundred million will survive. And those people that do survive are going to be traumatic. They're going to have witness neighbors, co-workers, bosses, husbands, wives, children, fathers, mothers, aunts, uncles, brothers, sisters. They're going to witness people that they loved, were acquainted with, die. And they're going into the millennium, and they're going to be scared. They're going to be not knowing exactly what's going to happen. So we are here to learn how to deal with the problem that's coming very rapidly. There's probably three or four or five dozen things that we could bring up and discuss at how we are supposed to be changing in our lives, but I'm only going to cover three. And we'll start with, for us, and ask you a question. Are you ready for the most scary thing to be told to you? Or maybe... The most blessed thing to say to you. Where do we stand? In Matthew chapter 13 verse 45 and 46. It talks about a pearl pearl of great price. This is a pearl that there is no monetary value that can be placed on it. Because it's beyond anything that we could come up with. A pearl a great price. Something that this merchant wanted. He understood the value. He understood how valuable this was. And he was willing to put and give up everything for that pearl. Adam and Eve was offered that pearl but they slipped didn't they they didn't recognize the value of that pearl and so they took the other course let's turn to Matthew 25 we cover this all the time you know and i'm just going to point out something when i want to when i said uh, there's a scary sentence There's a scary statement. Do I, as I said this and thought about this, see, I worked on the sermon until early in the morning. And then at 7.30 this morning, it hit me. uh, Maybe I'm not looking for that pearl of great price. Maybe there's something I'm missing. Matthew 25, verse 1. Then there shall be the kingdom of heaven be likened unto ten virgins. This is talking about the church, isn't it? We're talking about the church. The world already has gone and faced their scary moment. And only a minute portion of the world today is going to go into the millennium. But here's talking to the church wherever they might be, however many there's in the church. And he just likens it to ten virgins which took their lamps and went out forth to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were wise. Wise, wisdom, uh, you know, they studied and they studied and they meditated and they meditated and they prayed and they fasted and they went to services. And then there were five others who prayed occasionally, maybe once a week. Maybe there were these that attended services every week. Maybe they were brothers and sisters and held hands and talked and played and laughed. And six days a week, they might have read the Bible, they might have opened it up once or twice. And maybe they didn't. So here was five that never gave up. Well, they, they became lazy, apparently. We all became lazy. We all slept a little bit. But some of them were still putting some effort into it. And, and the message went out. They all fell asleep. They all were still... Plotting along, you know, what does it say there in Revelation three, seventeen? I know, I know these things. I'm studying. I go to services. I keep the Feast of Tabernacles every year. I've done it for fifty, sixty, twenty-five, two, whatever. I kept, I kept the feast. I kept all the holy days. I, I'm there. And the others, you know, what does it say to Ephesus? Think about what what God said to Ephesus. You know, you're great. You do everything. But the problem I have with you is you forgot your first love. You forgot your first love. So five of the virgins have forgotten their first love. Five of them are doing something all the time. They're always out there, even though they're, they're kind of slumbering. They're kind of not doing exactly right. But they're still there. And so, while they slept, the bridegroom came. And at midnight, the cry went out, It's time to marry Christ. Meet your bridegroom. They trimmed their lamps, five of them, their lamps because they slipped and slipped and slept and didn't put the effort into it. They had all kinds of crutches they could use, you know. I got, a, I got you know, was it the wedding? They said, uh, I got to go and take care of my parents. I've got to go take care of my car. I've got this job I've got to do. I mean, they have all kinds of excuses from going to the wedding. And the foolish said to the wise, Can't you help us? Can you give us some of what you have? How do you do that? How do you take what's up in your head, in your heart, and give that to somebody else? You see, it can't be done. You cannot take all your study, all the things that you do, you can't give that to somebody else. Give us of your oil. Give us of the knowledge that you have, the tenacity, the, the stick everything. Whatever you have, help us. I need some of this help. Can you help me? Can you give us some of what you have? Because... I don't remember some of these things. Uh, I I went to the feast, but I really liked going to St. Pete because there were so many things to do. I I was there. I did services for an hour. Isn't that enough? An hour a week? Or an hour a day for eight days? Isn't that enough? I mean, I tried to do what I could do. And why I said, no, you can't have anything I have because I can't give it to you. You know, people have asked me to give them the knowledge I have on how this property is functioning. How do I do that? It's up here, not, it's just who I am. So, how can I do it? So, how can you give what you have to somebody else, or how can you take what somebody else has? How can you go to a brother or sister, go to a, a minister, go to a, a friend and say, I need help. It's time to go get to the marriage, but I, I just, what am I doing wrong? It's too late. So while they were out, they were told, go out and get yourself in gear and get something done. Go out and do it. So then they went out. Meanwhile, while they were gone, the others went in and the door was shut. So here's the first thing we have to understand. God shut the door. And you're outside. I need to get in. God shut the door. And afterward, they came and saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. I want to come in. I want to pray. I want to marry you. I want to be a part of what you're doing. Open to us. But the scary question, the scary answer was, But Christ answered and said, Truly I say to you, I know you not. That should be so scary to us that we're ready to make a change when we sit in this day and time and we see the world collapsing around us. Not just this country. Oh yeah, we're living here in Arizona Strip and we've got a lot of Freedoms. Um, we, we're we not really oppressed. We don't see uh, being forced to wear a mask every place you go. We're not saying if you don't get the jab, you're not going to get food. So we're not a, that's not affecting us. It doesn't affect me. I still can run to bees. I can go into town. I can go, in, I can go to the Walmart. I can go to Costco. I can go to the hardware store. I can do anything. So it's not affecting me. Or is it? Am I going to be the one that comes up and says, Lord, let me in to Your kingdom. Because maybe it is that I didn't look for that pearl of great price. How important, how beautiful how uh, valuable is being a bride of Christ to you. Are you ready for Christ to say, come on in? The door's open. You're ready. Come on in. Come into the marriage. You're ready. Or are you going to be there let me in. Please, i got to get in. And Christ says, who are you? Who are you? Does God expect something from you? I know, as I said, there's a lot of... of vast number of things that God is expecting from you. I'm only going to touch on three. I probably don't have time for all those three, but I'm going to go touch on those three. In the parable of the talent, as I set it up for that, Matthew 25, verse 14, in the parable of the talent, which talks of the Father, Christ, knows you individually. He knows each one of us. He knows what we can do, what we can't do. So in the parable in this parable, the owner, Christ, the Father, they know what they're doing. And so they call their servants, the church, members in the church. We know many were called, only we few is going to be chosen. So they called in their people, and as it says here in verse 15, to every man according to his several abilities. So here God is saying that I know what you can do and what you can't do. So I know that there's a person here, as it goes on down through, the, through this parable, he knows this person has great abilities, And this person has a little less. And this person has a little less. And this person can only do one thing right now. But he does it pretty good. He does it good. But he can only do one thing. And so, he calls you, me. He calls the church in and says, I know what you can do and what you can't do. So to some, he said, you can do a lot of things. So I'm going to give you more responsibility, okay? And another one comes up and says, you can do pretty good. Uh, you, you have the capability of accomplishing a number of things. And so I'm going to give you uh, these responsibilities to do them and to carry them on. Until another person, he says, I know that it's really tough for you. Life has not dealt you maybe the the most knowledge, the wisdom, understanding. But, but you know, you can do this one thing. It's like I, I think I said last time, the, 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 the man who was the uh, CEO, the head of a company, and the janitor. The janitor could do his job exceedingly good. One job, that's all he had. The other guy was... Over this whole business, he could do all these different things. And so, to the one person, he gives the one... Because that's all he could do. And so, time went on. Christ comes back. And he says, oh, you know, you you were able to do a lot of things... And the person says, yeah, and I really appreciate it, and I really put effort into it, and I've doubled that. I did beyond. I doubled what you gave me. And the second one came up, and I, you know, I know that I was able to do just a few things, but I doubled what you gave to me. And the third one came up. So he was only a janitor. I can only do one thing, but I did a pretty good job at that. But notice what it says in verse 24. Then he which received the one talent came to his Lord. You know, Lord, I I know that You are a hard man admitting up front, I know You, Christ, I know what you expect from people. I know what you do, what you don't do. I, I, I really know these things, and I know that you expect stuff that you didn't put in for. But you expect, you reap where you had not sown, and you gather where you have not strolled. So I know that you're going to expect me to give you a lot more. He admits it. Verse twenty-five. And I was afraid and went out and hid the talent. So I quit doing what I was doing because you didn't give me but one talent and this other guy's got five. This other guy's got three or two or whatever. But I could do those things too. But remember what God said. I know. He said ahead of time. I know your capabilities. And I'm not going to make... I'm not going to give you stuff and expect you to do... I'm not going to expect you to be an engineer to design a building when you can only be a janitor. I'm not going to expect you to have uh, ten kids when you can't even have but one. I'm not going to expect you to be the CEO of a company when you don't have the background for it. So he said, I was afraid and I went and hid that talent in the earth. I disposed of the talent that you gave me. God expects you to do more. In this parable, He is telling you, you don't have to have money and all these other things. I just expect you to take what I give you and run with it. I expect you to get off of your... Rear end, stop being lazy and stop finding fault and do what you can with what I give you. I know that's all you can do. So I'm not going to expect you to build a building or build a boat like he did with Noah. He asked Noah to build a boat because he knew Noah could do that. But he wouldn't ask me because I don't have a clue on what to do. So he wouldn't ask me to do that. He wouldn't ask me to write a program on a computer, which we're in nowadays. We have all these fancy things and we're so technically minded and so far advanced that he wouldn't ask me to do that because I have no clue. He wouldn't ask me to sing a solo or a song like George and Gloria because I don't know where to go with it. But He expects them to do it and do a good job of it. So God expects you to do something with what He gives you. He wants everything done and increased. He doesn't want us to sit still doing nothing. Verse 28, He says, Take therefore... The talent that was given to him. So he is saying that scary question again. Take it away from him. Does that mean he reaches into your mind and extracts everything that was in your mind and then you're like salt has lost its savor? It's good for nothing. So the scary part again, comes to this person: Take it from him, because he doesn't want to follow what I say. For unto everyone that has it will be given, God says. I will give to you, I' going to, I love you, and he shall have abundance, but unto him that has not shall be taken away. Even everything he has. Stripped down. You're worth nothing to God, man. That should be pretty scary to think that God's going to say to me, You're worth nothing. I don't want to hear that, and I don't want you to hear that. And he said, And cast you the unprofitable servant. Listen. To what it says the unprofitable servant cast him into outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth is that scary I mean have we considered that I hope we have so what does God want from you David talking to his son in Second Chronicles 28, 9-10. I'm going to read this out of the New Living Translation. David talking to his son Solomon. My son, get to know the God of your ancestors. He was admonishing. David admonished his Solomon. Get to know God. He's telling you to me, get to know. Know God. In that talent, that person knew God enough to know that if I don't do what I should do and must do, I am going to be thrown away. So get to know your God of your ancestors. Worship and serve Him with your whole heart and with a willing mind. Your whole heart and a willing mind you're wanting to do it for God sees every heart and understands and knows every plan and thought, so sometimes we think, Well, God don't see me, I can go and I can sleep this week or next or next month. God's not looking at it anyway we justify ours, we justify, justify ourselves for the things we do. We have all kinds of crutches that help us to justify. If you seek Him, He goes on to say, you will find Him. If you look for treasure, you'll find it. If you want the pearl of great price, you'll find it. Seek Him and you will find Him. But if you forsake... Oh, the other side of the coin again but if you forsake Him, He will reject you forever. Isn't that scary enough to think that He will reject you? So, take this seriously. (laughs) Take what God gives you seriously. The Lord has chosen you to build a temple of His sanctuary. And it says, it ends with, be strong and do the work. That's very, very important for you and for me. It is scary, maybe, if we don't do what God expects from us. He wants something from us. We need to worship Him, serve Him, With our whole heart, we need to seek after Him. And we need to take it seriously. Not too often. uh, You know, going to the feast in St. Pete, I think a lot of people did not take that as serious as they should have. I was told by many, many people that this is their vacation. and If we consider the Feast of Tabernacles our vacation... We're in the wrong boat or <laughs> in the wrong car or bus or whatever. If, if the Feast of Tabernacles is no more than our vacation, why are we here? Because we should not be that way. So my first point comes from, and, and all three points come from Micah, Micah chapter 6 verse 8 and what does the eternal require of you but to do justly love mercy and walk humbly with god so the first point is to do things the right way the right way is to put your heart into it remember what he said the right way is to take things seriously The right way is to seek God and the right way is to do everything the right way according to truth and facts. Well, the truth is everything that God says. Christ in Matthew 4 said we should live by every word of God. We can't Pick and choose. We can't pick and choose what we want to do. We have to follow every word. Sometimes they're pretty hard. know? Sometimes it's tough. But God says it would be. God says it's not going to be 100% easy. Although Christ did say my way is easy. <laughs> but because we're human... We make it tough ourselves. So we should do according to truth, God's Word, and with facts, which are God's Word, the facts of God's Word, to do things honestly, fairly, with integrity. So whatever we do, we're told to do it justly. We're to do it honestly, fairly and have integrity in what you do. And properly do it properly. You can't do it half-heartedly. You've got to do it properly. You can't do it uh, as that'll do. I mean, there's a lot of people who do things and say, that'll do. If we, if we live by the law of it'll do, Uh, we're already in the wrong direction again. Because God wants more. Like He said to the the one with one talent, it's not that'll do. I'll do what I can. I'll try. I might get it done. But that'll do. It'll be okay. No. God wants you to do it properly. There are ways to do it and ways not to do it. Accurately and exactly. Here at the feast, we're able to learn how to, number one, get along with each other. Sometimes it's difficult um, because we we make it difficult. So to get along with each other. We're here to help each other to do God's word, to live by God's way of life. There are examples that we should follow, and examples we shouldn't. I'll give you an example of an of a case where a person was given a job and he said that'll do. He changed the he changed the things that God said to do. And of course that's King Saul. God made Saul king. He came from a small tribe. He was tall. He was big. He was good looking. He was humble. And God made him king. And that was great for a while. But he got the big head, <laughs> you know. I'm the boss. What do we hear today? Uh, governors of states, uh, mayors, Uh, people who have got this big idea, well, I'm in charge, so um, I will tell you what to do. So Samuel, talking to King Saul, said to him, uh, you were given a job, but you didn't do it. And so Saul used the crutch well, uh, the people did it. That's the first crutch. Secondly, is all these things we brought, you know, the, the animals and the gold and silver, you know, that's going to go into the temple and the animals we can use for sacrifices. So I'm going to justify, he said, I'm justifying my life. That's what Samuel, what Saul told Samuel. And he says in Samuel, 1 Samuel 15, 22. Samuel told Saul that's not good enough. He said, has the Lord as great a delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices? So Saul was justifying his actions. He justified himself. I know God is crucial and hard and all that. But Saul said, yeah, but if I give these animals for a sacrifice, well, that will make me look better in God's eyes. Will it? What do you say? Has God as great a delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices? Or... In obeying the voice of God. Which is more important? Sacrifice or obeying? Sacrifice or obeying? Well, a lot of us would think it's okay to. We'll make a sacrifice. A pretense. A penance. Pentance. We make penance, you know, like the Catholic Church says, or repentance. <laughs> Do we we put things out because that's a sacrifice? No, God says obey. Samuel told Saul, obey the voice of the Eternal. To obey is better than a sacrifice. And to listen, hearken, uh, follow than the fat of rams. So it doesn't make any difference what... Repentance you put out, okay, I will give out this i, I can you know uh, we both make changes the uh, The rich man can give a thousand dollars or a hundred dollars, but the widow, who doesn't have anything, who gives her heart, who does God honor? she said the widow. What she gave is so much better. It's that pearl of great price. So, we can do penance, a sacrifice of some kind, or give up this or that or something else, or we can repent and obey. Doing what's just and right is what God expects. Psalm Or rather, I'm sorry, Proverbs 21, verse 3. To do justice and judgment is more acceptable to the eternal than any kind of penance, any kind of sacrifice. Maybe you can say, well, I I wanted this car or I wanted this thing. Okay, I'll give that up this time. That's penance but obeying if God says be there, study, pray, live is more important to Him. Habakkuk 2 verse 4 Behold, the soul which is lifted up is not right in Him, but the just. So we can make ourselves think we're doing really good but the just will live by faith. and Sometimes we have to trust God in what's happening. Well, I'm going to have to get along with this quick. I'm running out of time. <laughs> Again, in Romans 1.17, says the same thing. The just shall live by faith. Psalm 82. We should... Be living by doing the right things. In Psalm 82, verses 3 and 4, says, Defend the poor. This is what God expects from you. He's expecting you to do something. He wants you to be doing things the right way, justly. So defend the poor, the fatherless. Do justice to the afflicted and the needy. Deliver the poor and the needy And rid them out of the hand of the wicked. So that's doing the right thing. So God expects us to do the right things the right way. In Romans 8, verse 34. Who is he that condemns? That's the wrong thing to do. To condemn each other. Finding fault with each other. That's the wrong thing. It is Christ that died, yet rather that is raised again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. So the right thing is not to find fault, but to look for the way you can help each other. In Romans 2, verses 14, or 13 rather, Romans two verse thirteen. For not the hearers of the law are just before God, but the doers, those that put out effort. So doing things justly and rightly, that's what God expects. The doers of the law will be justified. Again, down in Psalms thirty four. I'm just I'm gonna read these off because Of the time, but it says, Depart from evil in Psalm 34, verse 14. Depart from evil. Do good. Seek peace. And go after that. Go after the pearl of great price. So, in Hosea 14, verse 9, who is wise? Who's the wise? Understanding person and understands these things. Who's prudent and he shall know them for the ways of the eternal are right and the just will walk in those ways. So we should be at first, that first point, doing everything the right way, justly, helping, serving, putting yourself out. Second point, then is to become merciful. Sometimes that's pretty hard. Somebody can, somebody can agitate you. They can say things to you, cut you down maybe. But can we have enough mercy to forgive them? In Psalm 136, the whole way through, every verse says the same thing. It says that God, our Father, and Jesus Christ both are so merciful. That's what God is like. He said His mercy endures forever. He doesn't have a limited amount of mercy. I get aggravated and maybe my mercy dissipates real quickly. But I can't allow that to be that way. Luke chapter 6, verse 36, be you therefore merciful. So here we're, ex- we're asked by the Father, by Jesus Christ, at that time, Emmanuel, is God with us? We say Emmanuel, which says that God is with me. If God is with me, and I'm with God, then I, then. I will be merciful like the Father who is very merciful. I want to be like Him. I really want to do the things that He wants me to do. In Hosea 6.6, 6, For I desire, I desire, Christ said, the Father says, I desire mercy and not sacrifice and the knowledge of God more than burnt offerings. I desire it, God says. I desire you to be that way. So if we're going to be leaders in the world tomorrow, we first have to be at that point where we can be just in everything we do. We have to see justice. We have to do justice. We have to do the things that are right. And the second thing is, we're going to have to be merciful. Remember, these people have gone through such a horrendous time. Some of them might be just one of a family. And they're going to look over there and they're going to know what is coming next. So we're going to have to be merciful to these people somehow. You know, in Matthew 5, we've gone over this many times. Daryl's done many sermons to cover Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And one of the the attitudes or the attitudes that we should have, one of the attitudes we should have is to be merciful. If we are merciful, verse 7, blessed are the merciful for they, they means if I'm not merciful, then I must remember, I probably am not going to get mercy to me either. So if I want to be, if I want mercy to come to me, I have to be merciful also. Colossians 3, verses 12 and 13, it says, Put on, therefore, as the elect of God. Who's that? Isn't that the church? The called out ones? As the elect of God. Holy and beloved. So we're we're to be holy and we are loved by God. Holy and beloved. Put on, therefore, bowels of mercy, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, and long-suffering. You can't be merciful if you are only quick-tempered and only find fault with people. You have no mercy. You have to be long-suffering. Sometimes things hit you and hit you and hit you and hit you. You sit there and say, okay, there's a reason. God has a reason for it. He doesn't do anything without having a definite reason. Maybe, like Job, who God said, do you see My servant Job? How how he hates doing things wrong. So did God allow Satan to put stuff on Job that he couldn't handle? No. But He wanted Job To learn something. So sometimes God throws stuff at us and we don't understand it. But there's a reason. He wants us to learn to be merciful with other people. Long-suffering. Verse 13. Verse 13. Forbearing one another. Wow. (laughs) Putting up with each other. Sometimes it's difficult, isn't it? I know my wife sometimes finds it pretty difficult to put up with me. I've had two wives, and they both found it pretty difficult to put up with me. I don't see that, but I got a daughter who has probably finds it pretty tough to get up with me too. She finds it forbearing, putting up with me, and and then forgiving one another, being able to look at their faults and forgive somebody else. For if a man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you. Oh, the example. Christ forgave me. So also, do you do that? Are you ready to do that? Are you going to have that kind of mercy? Colossians 3.13 from the New Living Translation. You must make Allowance for each other's faults. Oh, come on. You know, i gotta, I got to look over and say, you have faults? i gotta, I got to forgive you. I gotta, do I have to make allowance that you don't do everything the way I like to do it? And forgive the person who f- offends you. Oh. Remember, the Eternal forgave you so you, a command, must forgive other people. What happens then if we don't have mercy? Matthew 18, verse 23. Therefore, is the kingdom of heaven like unto a certain king which took account of his servants. Here's a case where a guy owed him a lot. A lot. And he forgave him all that he gave him. And he threatened to put this guy in jail to take his life away from him. Verse 26, And the servant therefore fell down and worshipped him, saying, Lord, have patience with me, and I will repay. Then the Lord of that servant was moved with compassion. When we go to God and say, forgive me, God has compassion on you and forgives you and takes away the punishment of death. The wages of sin are death. But what happened? This person forgot that he is offered eternal life. And God said, I forgive you. Look at David. Committed murder. Committed adultery. Lied. Stole. And God forgave him because he changed. He asked to be forgiven. But what happens in this case? What happens to the person who doesn't follow that? But that servant went out and found somebody that offended him and he came down in him with two feet, had him thrown in jail because you owe me. You owe me everything. You owe me your life. Verse thirty two. Then the Lord, after that, He heard heard what had said. So the other people, His friends on their knees praying to God, you know, you forgave Him, but He has no forgiveness, no mercy. No mercy. Then the Lord, when He heard these things, said to the person that He forgave, Is this a scary statement? You wicked servant. I forgave you. Because you asked me. You're supposed to do the same thing, he said. Verse 34. And his Lord was so wrath, so upset, so uptight. And he delivered him to the tormentors until he paid everything. Is that scary or not? So likewise, verse 35, your Heavenly Father do also to you, if you from your heart forgive not everyone his brother that trespasses. It is a scary thing to think you are better than anybody else. Point three, we need to learn how to walk humbly with our God. We need to be humble. Can two people, can we walk with God? Amos 3, 4. Can we walk with God and not agree with what he's telling us? He expects us to be able to learn how to walk with each other and learn to walk with him and be able to learn to walk with some of these people who are going into the world tomorrow, who are so scared not knowing what's going to do, can, can we help them walk and show them how to walk with God? Are we humble enough? Have we learned how to be humble to be able to do that? Christ is our example of humility in Mark Chapter 10, verse 43. But so shall it not be among you, but whosoever will be great among you shall be your minister or servant. A minister is a servant. We're going to be servants and we're going to serve these people in the world tomorrow. You're going to have to serve them. Because you can't browbeat them into loving God. So you're going to have to serve them and show them what it is like to be a God-fearing Christian and to see what God has given to you. And whosoever of you will be chief among you. You're going to be served all people. For even the Son of Man came not to be the minister, the leader, the, the head of everything. And that's what he came to be. But he came to minister. And to give his life for a ransom. So to, we're going to have to follow that example. We've got to be willing to give ourselves. We've got to humble ourselves to the point to think that we are not the greatest of everything. In Philippians 2, verse 5, Philippians 2, 5 through 8, let this mind be in you which was in Emmanuel, Jesus Christ, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation. And he took on him the form of a servant. And was made in the likeness of men. So he humbled himself. We read in John chapter 1 that Christ was the word. Emmanuel, who we say Christ is with us, he's with me, I'm with him, made all things, and everything was made for him and by him. And yet it says here, He He gave up. That power, He humbled Himself to that point and became like a man. And being found in the fashion of man, He humbled Himself and became obedient unto death. Because that's what the Father requested. We know He said before He was beaten to death, He said, I don't want to go this way, but not My will, but Yours. So He humbled Himself and became obedient to death, even the death on the cross. Humility, or being humble, doesn't mean belittling yourself. I've seen people walk with their head down, oh, I'm so so bad. I give so much. No, that's not what God expects from you. That's not being... You don't belittle yourself and think that belittling yourself makes you humble. You know, that don't make you humble just because you want to put yourself down. Proverbs 16. Proverbs 16, 18, and 19. Pride. (laughs) And you've heard Daryl talk about this many, many times. Pride goes before destruction. So if you think, I'm so humble. I've got to make myself look so bad and so low. Pride comes before destruction, and a haughty spirit before a fall. Oh, you mean if I'm prideful and I'm haughty, and I'm showing I'm so humble, I'm so humble. God, I, I just I just do these things. You're going to fall. You're going to come. You're just not going to make it. God says it's better. Better it is to be. A humble spirit, a true humble spirit, with a with the lowly, than to divide the spoil with the proud. We can take the chief seats at the feast. It says, the guy came in, the humble guy came to the feast, and he put himself down to the bottom spot because he felt that. There are more people more important than me. But he didn't belittle himself. He just, that was his nature. Proverbs 25, 27. It is not good to eat much honey. <laughs> so for men to search their own glory is not glory. So if we think it's great to look like I'm humble, and a lot of people do that they try to make themselves look humble they try to talk humbly for glory but that's not glory ecclesiastes 7:16 be not righteous over much and neither make yourself overwise why should you destroy yourself when we think we're something more than what we are when we go to that point To put ourselves... And we're making ourselves think we're humble. Okay? You can't humble yourself. Don't play the part. Live the part. Part B of, of, of that point is a humble person... This is what a humble person really does. This is what it's saying, how to be humble. A humble person focuses more on God and others than on himself. So when we focus hum- hum- humility on ourselves, which we're not supposed to do, that becomes pride and arrogancy. But we focus on God and other people. Philippians 2 verse 3, let this mind, uh, let nothing be done through strife and vain glory, but in lowliest mind, let each esteem each other better than the self. You you recognize that you're really not the most important person. You're putting somebody else ahead of yourself. Romans 12, verse 10. Be kindly affectionate one to another with brotherly love and honor preferring others over yourself. Ecclesiastes, I mean sorry, Ephesians 5, verse 21. Submit yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Submitting to others. Psalm 34, verse 18. The Lord is nigh to them that are of a broken heart. God's close to those that have a broken heart. And save such as are of a contrite spirit. So there are things we need to learn to do. To work on. We should, by all means, try to avoid the scary statement. It's scary to say, I don't know you. It's scary for God to say "You, to you, you're not supposed to be here. You know? We have an opportunity at the feast to learn if nothing else. To learn how to do everything right. It takes effort. It takes work. It takes study. It takes giving to learn to do it the right way. We need to learn to have, be able to have mercy to forgive each other. It's, it's, it could be hard sometimes for you to forgive me, maybe. But, but it's something that I have to do too. I have to forgive you because you don't do what I think you ought to do. So, you know, I know all the answers. I'm the greatest one around. Am I? So I need to have mercy in realizing that you have a lot of talent. You have the talent that I don't have. So I need to forgive you because I think I can do it better. So I need to have mercy. You need to have mercy. You need to be able to be merciful in all that you do. And thirdly, we need to walk with God. We need to walk by being humble in God's way, helping each other, uh, realizing that, that I can give to other people I don't have to be the only one around. I don't have to be the only one with knowledge. I don't have to be the only one with uh, money. I don't have to be the only one with a car. I don't have to be the only one with a, whatever it is, with a big house or whatever. So God, just three things. I know sometimes, and there's a lot of others. There's, there's a lot of other things. But there's three things that we should take from the feast. The three things of doing it right, God's way, loving each other, forgiving each other, and learning how to walk with each other and to walk with God.